This is a message from the Word of God from the Tabernacle, the New Birth Gospel Tabernacle in St. Kitsinibis. Be blessed by the message as we were on that day. Hallelujah. Just to be standing, I just want you to take the time out to just to give the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords another high note of praise this morning. If you are here this morning and you're alive, you need to give God praise this morning. Praise Him like you're really, really grateful to be alive and well this morning. Lift up your voices and exalt the name of Jesus because He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. All right. That was probably for me. That could not be for the God who created this universe and who created you. If you're really glad to be alive and to be in the house of God this morning, the psalmist David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You are here this morning in the land of the living. Many people did not live to tell the tale, but you are here today. I want you to open up your mouth and give God a high, no, a praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. To God be praised. For his mercies endureth forever. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I am happy to be alive. Everything may not be well, but I'm happy to be alive. You see, because they say once there is life, there is hope. So once I'm alive, it means God has a plan for me. The songwriter says, I can't give up now. No matter what I go through, because guess what? Nobody told me the road would be easy. And I don't believe he brought me this far to leave me. If you are alive this morning, God has a plan for your life. You are alive for a reason. You are here for a reason. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. I bring you greetings this morning and I want to take this opportunity to um, pay homage to the man and woman of God, the mother and father of this ministry, Bishop Cyprian Williams and co-pastor Nelson Williams. Thank you so much for this opportunity this morning. I also want to make a special welcome to uh, Pastor Ruth Narain, who was here with us just a month ago. God bless you. Yeah, there's about a month ago. I wasn't here at the time when you ministered. I was actually overseas, but I was following the ministry. And I really, um, I was really blessed. I was really blessed. Thank you for taking time out to minister with us that time. God bless you. And thank you for being with us this morning. And this is a special Sunday. This is Pentecost Sunday. It is the Sunday which, uh, the time which we commemorate, basically you could say the birth of the church. Because without that moment, we would not have the church today. Jesus told his disciples before he ascended to heaven that I will leave you, but I will send with you a comforter. And one that will be with you. Tarry until he comes. And until the Holy Spirit descended, the church was not born. They could not have gone out. They could have done anything until the Holy Spirit came. And so this morning, we are grateful for the Spirit of God, for the Holy Spirit. For without Him, we are nothing. Without the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. Without the Holy Spirit, we are not effective in anything that we do. So we are very happy this morning that we have the opportunity to celebrate and to commemorate the advent of the Holy Spirit. I want you to turn with me this morning to a passage that uh, Minister Karen referred to, Acts chapter 2. 
And it's a very popular passage of scripture, especially around this time. And I will, we will read the first 21 verses of Acts chapter 2, which will be the premise of our message today. Acts chapter 2. Let me also welcome those who are viewing online. Uh, we're on various platforms, YouTube, on our website, uh, newbirthskv.org, as well as on Facebook. So we welcome you all watching this morning. Acts chapter 2, reading from verses 1 right down to 21. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because every man heard them speaking in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we, every man in his own tongue, wherein we were born, Passions and Medes, and Elamites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, in Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judah, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is, but is the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, said God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your young men, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. Father, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this, the opportunity 
that you've given unto us, Lord God, to be here to hear your word. I pray, God, that as I speak, that the words I speak be not mine, but yours. Father, I pray, God, that you'll use me mightily, Lord, to do your work. I do not feel worthy to be used by you, but God, you see me fit to bring forth your word today. So I ask you, God, to use me. Fill me with your anointing and your power, and let your word go forth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, I would like to speak with you on just a very simple topic. The release. The release. Acts chapter 2 basically outlines, as we see there, the coming of the Holy Spirit, which, as I said earlier, marks the birth of the church. Prior to this, Jesus said to his disciples that he asks them to, or commands them rather, to stay in Jerusalem, to tarry until the Holy Spirit comes. I will come and endue them with power. This morning, as we look at Pentecost and the significance of the experience of Pentecost and what it means for us in this modern day society, I want us to look at what existed before, what existed upon the time when the Holy Spirit came, and what happened thereafter. And that will give us a good picture as to where this fits in for the church today and even for us here at New Birth. So let's look at Acts chapter 1. And as I said, um, and, and I should point this out as well, that the Pentecost, or rather the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, came within 50 days after the Passover festival. Now you remember the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples before he was crucified. And within that period from when Jesus died and when he rose from the dead, then came Pentecost. What is, it, what is also significant as well is that those 50 days are somewhat similar to the 50 days in which the Passover, the original Passover, which was, of course, when the children of Israel were in Egypt and the, the death angel passed over the doorpost with the blood. 50 days after that incident, God gave them the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. So there is a significance crucial point of the journey of the children of Israel, 50 days after the Passover, coincides with 50 days after the Passover when Jesus, the last supper of Jesus, to the birth of the church. There is a significant, a crucial point in the children of Israel's journey and a crucial point to us as believers. So you see a connection there. And God is a God of connection. God connects the dots. Sometimes we don't see it all the time. But God is a God that connects the dots. Nothing happens by accident. God orchestrates things in order. That's the God we serve. So here we go. So let's look at, at Acts chapter 1. And we're going to look, look at just a few verses there. Acts chapter 1. And we'll look at verses 6 to 11. Now this is after Jesus would have died and rose from the dead and appeared before his, some of his disciples, or the disciples, one of them had already died at that point, which was Judas. But he appeared before his disciples and was about to ascend unto heaven. So he was there with them a few days, fellowship with them a few days. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, I want you to read verse 6 to 11. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. 
but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, which they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into this heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. All right. So here it is. Jesus now appears before his disciples, and the time has come for him to ascend. And the question they ask him is, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel? And I'm reading now from the New Living Translation. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Now, there are several things that I could pick out of this particular but I'm going to speak, pick two things, two observations. First of all, the fact that they're asking this question of Jesus means, in my opinion, they still didn't get it. They didn't get why Jesus really came. You see, the Israelites felt that the Messiah was going to deliver them from the Romans and establish the kingdom of Israel firmly on earth. And so they were no longer, you see, the Israelites have a history of oppression. When it wasn't the Babylonians, it's the Romans. When it wasn't the Romans, it's the Assyrians. It was always somebody oppressing them. And they got to the point where they felt that when this Messiah comes, he was going to deliver them from oppression, from earthly or, or their earthly enemies. Because they're just tired of oppression. And, and when you equate it even to our lives, sometimes we're just tired of oppression. Everywhere you turn, something happened. You go to your left, something happened. You go to your right, something happened. And you want to figure out when you're going to get a break. When is it you're going to get a break? God, when is it you're going to deliver me from my enemies? When is it that God, you're going to give me the ultimate delivery where I just can't deal with these people anymore? I'm tired. 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 One thing after the next. And even when you enjoy a little moment of prosperity, you begin to wonder, what's going to happen? You start to worry, no man, something ain't right. Because you're so accustomed to oppression that as soon as something good happens, you wonder if something bad going to happen. So you can't even enjoy the little moment of prosperity that God has given you. So the children of Israel, were, they were perplexed. So the disciples were still on the mind. Now remember this. I don't know if you remember when Peter, there was a time when Jesus said that he was going to be crucified. He was going to die and raise three days later. And Peter shut him up. Peter said, God, God, Jesus, don't talk so. How are you supposed to be our Messiah and you talking about dead? Dead? You came to deliver us, not to die? Peter didn't get it. And Jesus had to rebuke, well, rebuke the spirit behind him. Get thee behind me, Satan. Because Jesus saw that the spirit behind what Peter was saying, not Peter, but the spirit behind what Peter was saying was designed to thwart what God had brought him on earth to do. So Jesus had to correct him. And so here it is that Peter, uh, that they, they're asking Jesus the question. So for one, they did not realize that why Jesus came, that even after he died and he rose, 
they still thought he was there to deliver them out of the earthly oppression and to establish an earthly kingdom for Israel. So that's one. But then there is the, the other aspect as well that Jesus' death represented the turning point that led to the journey for the birth of the church. It was the turning point that even though, now for the disciples at the time when Jesus was crucified, for them, this was it. It's done. It's over. Peter himself thought there was no turning back for him because he denied, even though he told Jesus, I will never leave you. I will never deny you. He denied Christ three times. And when he realized that what Jesus prophesied came through, Peter wept bitterly. And as far as Peter was concerned, there was no coming back for him. For many who did not understand the mission of Jesus Christ and why he came to earth, his death was the end of what they thought he came to do. I say to you this morning that your circumstances or your situation may seem as if it came to destroy you and to kill you and to remove you from the face of this earth. I am here to tell you this morning that if you're a child of God, and you have the Holy Spirit within you. Even when the situation looks dead. Even when the situation looks hopeless. Even when it seems as if the enemy has won. I tell you this. God is up to something. And he is going to take what seems as a dead situation. And resurrect it. The time when the time is right. God used what the enemy thought. When Satan thought I have won this battle. God took what many thought was the end and turned it around as the ultimate victory. Not only for that moment, but for every mankind on the face of this earth. It is because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus why we have the power that we're talking about today. And it was that that gave way to the Holy Spirit's arrival. And it was preparing the way for the Holy Spirit to come. So that is why Jesus said in that passage we just read in Acts chapter 1, that stay in Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit is coming. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will endue you with power. But as we read further in that passage of Acts chapter 1, and we go further down, it reaches to verse 9 where Jesus is now ascending. He would have spoken to them and he's now ascending into heaven, into the clouds. And the, the apostles and the disciples were looking and they're looking and they're looking till they couldn't see nothing again. And then angels appeared to them and said, men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken away from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And there's an illustration about them just looking up to heaven. That it took the angels to tell them, look, don't be dismayed. He will come back the same way he came. But at that moment now, they were called to action. They could not stay there all day gazing into heaven. They could not stay there all day gazing into heaven. And sometimes it feels as if the church is still gazing into heaven. Because when it comes to actually doing what God has commanded us to do, we are still waiting, gazing into heaven because we have been promised and we know that God is going to come in the same manner in which he ascended. But while he is ascended, there is work for us here to do. And we can't just stay there gazing into heaven. We need an awakening. We need an awakening to say, why are you standing there gazing into heaven? There is work for us to do. 
there is work for us to do. And so when, it, when you go further down from there, you go to verse 15. We didn't read it, but I'm going to just read it briefly. Uh, again, from the New Living Translation, it says, During this time, so this is after now Jesus would have ascended. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. And at that point now, they said, okay, now it's time for us to replace Judas. So Judas was with us. He betrayed Jesus. He died. And now we need to replace him. So at that point, Peter realized, look, guys, we have to get going. We got to get moving. We have to now begin the process. We, we, we can't just sit down and do nothing. Yes, Jesus told them to wait. But sometimes we interpret wait to mean and do nothing. But in scripture, wait never meant do nothing. It denotes the, the, the act of expectancy. Wherever you see wait in scripture, it's all about expectancy. And if you expect something, you are going to prepare for it. So you're not going to sit down twiddling your thumbs, gazing into the sky, expecting manna to fall from heaven. It means then that, yes, you are waiting on God's timing. But it means that there is still things that you must do in preparation for what God is going to deposit upon you. So, yes... Before they even got to the upper room where the Holy Spirit descended upon them, they had to begin now putting things in place so that when the Holy Spirit came, they were ready to be released into what God was calling them to do. So they had to prepare themselves and put themselves in position. We just came out of a period of 90 days of divine shift. And our man of God being led by the Spirit led us through that 90 days of divine shift. We are now in a period of manifestation, of divine manifestation. And I, I, I will tell you this, this man hears from God. Because in order for manifestation to take place, there has to be a divine shift. The mere fact that the disciples were asking Jesus, when are you going to establish Israel's earthly kingdom? Means that they needed a divine shift. They needed a shift in their mentality because they were still thinking that Jesus was coming to deliver them from earthly oppression alone. They did not realize that Jesus' mission was much bigger than that. And a lot of times, we, we, as children of God, we don't realize that we are here for much greater and much bigger. We sometimes are not looking, we are looking at, as one pastor likes to put it, we are looking at the local news. But we are not paying attention to the global news. There is a global perspective that we must have as children of God. But a lot of times we are just looking at the local perspective. And we're just looking at what happens around us and our circumstances. Not realizing that there is something greater. There is greater. There is greater than what you see with your natural eyes. So there had to be a divine shift before divine manifestation. Once you would have gotten the shift, then you have the eyes to see the manifestation and to begin to experience the manifestation. In fact, we could divide it up in several parts. There is the promise, there is the wait, and there is the manifestation. God gave them, Jesus gave them the promise of the comforter, the Holy Spirit. But there came a period of waiting. And if we were to be very honest, the waiting period in our lives is always the most difficult. Because when you get a promise from God, because of, especially because of the society in which we live today where everything is instant, 
Everything is a microwavable thing. So when you hear something, you expect to see it manifested, it manifested right away. And if it don't manifest right away, we begin to have doubts about whether or not God did really say so. And I will be honest with you, it is not, the waiting period for me is not always the nicest part. It, I, 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 I can't see, especially when you can see it. It's if you have the vision and you can see it, and you feel like you can touch it, and you have to, and it's like everything you try is like something blocking you. And something blocking you. And you feel so frustrated, you're like, Lord God, I see it, I can touch it. Why can't I have it? And that is the part that is frustrating. And you begin sometimes, and I'll tell you this, there are some delays that are God-ordained delays and are necessary, and there are some delays that are just the devil. There are some delays where you just have to call down on the power of God to remove because they are not of God. But there are some delays that God has orchestrated so that we can grow into what he wants us to become. Because he knows that if we were to get what we've been asking for ahead of time and run ahead of him and get it, he knows it would be more destructive to us than good. And there are many examples of that. We look at the life of Joseph. Joseph was already promised from early, from a young age, that his father and his brothers will bow down before him. And Joseph got the vision. The problem is Joseph shared the vision with the people who didn't want to hear the vision. That's part of the problem. But it's also ordained for God too. Because God knew that once he shared the vision with them, they get jealous and they would do what they did and he would not have ended up where he ended up. But the fact of the matter is, Joseph had the vision. This was what God said was going to happen. And so he expected it to happen. But then look what he had to go through. The detours that God took Joseph through, I think some of us would probably have given up already. To be thrown into a pit by his own brothers, his own flesh and blood, betrayed him and threw him in a pit. Sold him into slavery. Then when he thinks he gets a break, in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's lying wife, get him locked up. So here it is, a moment of favor. And all of a sudden, Light help on you because you decide that you are going to stand up for righteousness. Because you see, when Joseph refused her, Joseph refused her on the basis of not disappointing his master. But that he could not sin against his God. Joseph stood up for righteousness and paid a price for it. How many of us at that point would say, well, God, I give up on this God thing, you know. Because I stand up for you and this is the thanks I get. As far as I, I concern, God, you set me up. Because you put me in a place of prosperity. I stand up for you and I go jail for that. But then here comes now a chance for a breakthrough to come. In prison. He, he interprets the dream of two prisoners. And now he's getting the opportunity now. When, they were, when one of them, I think it was the baker or was, I don't remember. The baker was killed. And there was another one who was being freed. The cup bearer. Yes. Thank you very much, Sister Cinder. The cup bearer is now being freed. Joseph says to him, do not forget me when you go to Pharaoh. And the cupbearer forget him. Again, another detour. Another waiting period. There it was that Joseph could see his breakthrough. He could literally touch his breakthrough. And yet, God allowed him to wait again. 
But again, I say God is a God of timing. And everything that he does is well-timed. Everything that he does is perfect. We may not always understand it, but I tell you this. I have been a witness of seeing delays that God has allowed to happen in my life. And when I see where God has taken me from to where I am today, I know that if I had not waited, what would have happened? If I had run ahead of God, what would have happened? And so God orchestrated Joseph's life. Detour after detour after detour. But yet he became second in command to Pharaoh. And was able to deliver his own family from famine. God is a God of timing. And when he's timed something, it is well timed. So sometimes when you feel like giving up, when you feel like throwing in the towel, I am doing everything right, but yet it doesn't seem like I'm making a breakthrough. Trust God because God's timing is better than yours. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's a God of timing. He's a God of timing. So yes, we had to go through the waiting period. But it's for purpose and it's for a reason. And a lot of times, a lot of times, when God put us through difficult, allowed difficult circumstances to come, it is for us to grow. Because he knows that if we were always getting things when we want them, and getting things, a lot of times, and this is human nature, we sometimes forget God. And we begin to realize, and we begin to start to know, look into our own abilities. And to say, well, it is I that has allowed me to get this. And it's my abilities that allow me to get that. Not recognizing or acknowledging that had it not been for God, you would not even been alive to do the things that you're doing. The gifts and the talents that you have, it is because of God why you have them. So you can't now go and say, well, it is I. Remember the last man who said, oh, is not this great Babylon that I have built, that I have built. Nebuchadnezzar. God showed him who's the boss. God showed him who's the boss. And if you don't know the story, read it in, in Daniel, I think it is. Where God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to eat grass and to behave like wild beasts in the field. The man who declared that is not this great Babylon that I have built. Be careful how you exalt yourself above God. Be careful how you exalt yourself above God. Because God can rise you up and he can tear you down. Be careful how you exalt yourself above God. All that I have and ever hope to achieve is because of him. And I give him the glory and give him the honor. Because without him, it would never have happened. And that is why sometimes God allows us to our backs to be against the wall. When you have no one else to turn to. No friend, nobody at all to turn to. And only him you can look to. So that when he comes through for you, you can say, If it had not been for God who was on my side, where would I be? That is the God we serve. So it was the promise and then the wait and the manifestation. So we come to the manifestation. The Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples, the apostles in the upper room. In chapter 2, which we read. Now, when, if you notice here in chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, that is. The time when the believers and everyone was gathered, were gathered into the upper room. There were people from all different tongues. All different nationalities and ethnic groups were in that one building. And they were in, as the scripture says, one accord. I want to just dwell on that for a moment. 
There is power in being together. And if there's one thing that has been shown in the, on the day of Pentecost is the power of togetherness. The power of working together. The power of having one mind, one goal, one destination. The power of understanding what your purpose is and working towards that in unison. You see, if you look, even the devils in hell, the demons themselves are united because they understand the power of unity. And that is the reason why the church is so fragmented. Because the enemy knows that the moment they can come together, the moment they can come in one accord, the things that God can do through the church and, and the influence that we can have in the world is immeasurable. So the enemy keeps us divided. And use little things. And not only the, the, the body of Christ, you know, the wider family of God, you know, but even individual churches. So you will come in some churches and you will find one clique over that side, another clique over that side, another clique in the middle, and nobody is in unison. And so even when the man of God comes and shares a vision, some will run with it. Some will say, who eating gibi? Some will wonder and start to question the man of God and question his, his the wisdom of the spirit of God. And so you'll find that the church is not growing and cannot achieve what God has set out for it to do because we are so divided. So not only are we divided amongst the body of Christ, we're divided individually as well. And the enemy understands that because even the devil himself, and if you don't, if you don't think it's true, remember Jesus said, thank you very much. Remember Jesus said when... The Pharisees were accusing him of being a devil and, and casting out devils because he's a devil. Jesus said to him, the kingdom of heaven doesn't fight against itself. A devil can't cast out devil. It has to be the spirit of God that gives him the power to cast out devils. So the kingdom, the kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. So Jesus revealed to us that even the kingdom of darkness is united. Because it has a common goal which is to destroy the people of God. The enemy comes only but to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that I have life, that you may have life and life more abundantly. And if we are agents of that life, then we should work in unison. When Jesus prayed in John chapter 15 and chapter 16 to his father, as he said, for God to make his disciples one, just as he and the father are one. There is power in unison and working together. We as children of God have to come to a point where we understand what our purpose is on this earth. What is God, what has God ordained us to do and work in unison? So they're in one accord. They were together, they're in one accord. But even more so, they were there having a spirit of expectancy. expectancy. They knew that God had told them, Jesus had told them to come tarry in Jerusalem. Tarry in Jerusalem. And the spirit will come. Thank you. And so as a result of them doing what God did. One, they were obedient. Two, they were there in unison. And three, they were there with a spirit of expect, expectancy. So they had a spirit of expectancy. They were prepared and they were ready. The spirit of God came. Now there are two things I want you to look at. Spirit of God came, they spoke with other tongues. And then there were people there who were saying, but how is it that 
you're from there and you're speaking my language and everybody's understanding and comprehending what they're saying. And they're, they're amazed because the people who are speaking, these are unlearned men, as scripture says. So they, they, there was no way they would have known certain languages unless the spirit of God gave them utterance as the word of God declares. But here it is too, that they were hearing. And if you realize in verse 11, in the latter part of verse 11, it says, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. Now look how God set this up. God allowed all these different ethnic groups and nationalities to come into one space, speaking each other's language through the Holy Spirit. And then they begin to realize they're hearing what they're hearing. They're hearing the good news. They're hearing the word of God being communicated in their own language. God orchestrated because at the time when they came, I don't remember what festival it was, but there was an occasion in Jerusalem that allowed all of them to be in the same space. And all of them hearing the gospel message for the very first time in history communicated in their language. God set it up in a way that everybody in different regions of, the, of that part of the world could hear the gospel message and could take it back to where they came from. That is how God orchestrated Pentecost. That was the birth of the church. And it is an example to us that the gospel is not just for us. It is designed for the entire world. For the world to know that God so loved the world. That he sent his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him will not perish. But have everlasting life. That is a message that transforms lives. Change lives for the better. Take people out of the pit of sin. Into the palace of prosperity. And to take them on the pathway that God has ordained for them. You begin to discover your purpose when you find Jesus. And the Holy Spirit birthed in the church at that moment. Birthed the church with a message of the good news. The good news broadcast all over at that point. There's another thing too. When Peter got up to speak, because everybody at that point are confused. They're like, what's going on? And Peter got up to speak to them. And Peter spoke. When he finished, well, before we get to when he finished, Peter said that this is the prophecy of Joel. Where it says in the last days, God, in verse 17, God says, I'll pour my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour my spirit even on my, my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in heaven above. And signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and clouds of smoke. And the sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red. Before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. Now here it is. Peter is revealing to the people there that this is the prophecy. This is the promise that God has given us those hundreds of years ago. Even before Jesus came on the earth. But if you read as I just outlined all of that prophecy there. How much of that prophecy was fulfilled at that moment? Only a portion. There was still a lot of that part of that prophecy that was not fulfilled at that moment, at that very given moment, when the Spirit descended upon them and they spoke in other tongues. Only part of that, that Joel prophecy was being fulfilled. But what Peter was essentially saying is, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. I am saying to you this morning, 
that what God is doing in your life, doing right now in your life through the Spirit of God, this is just the beginning. You ain't seen nothing yet. What God is about to do in your life, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has that come into the heart of man what God is about to do in your life. This is just the beginning. When the Spirit of God came, it was like what some theologians call the coronation. It was like when you have a president being um, um, sworn into power, the president of the United States. There's this big celebration, this big coronation of the president of the United States. Well, this was the big celebration of the birth of the church. And this, what God was doing then, was just the beginning. There are things that are yet to be manifested right now in our presence that God has given us the power through the Holy Spirit to be manifested in this earth. There are things that are yet to be come, that come to pass that God is preparing you and you and you to do. This is just the beginning. But as we go further, when Peter was finished, and as he got down to the end of that passage, the end of Acts chapter 2, it said that there were baptized 3,000 souls on that day. 3,000, imagine that. 3,000 souls saved on the same day the Spirit of God came. One day. And you wonder sometimes why we can't get a group of churches to even have 3,000 in a year. 3,000 in a year. As I said earlier, everything that we do as a church is pointless if the Spirit of God is not in it. Everything that we do, worship, preaching, whatever it is, it is pointless without the Spirit of God. Because it's the Spirit of God, one, that gives you utterance. It's the Spirit of God that brings, that breaks the, 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 the back of the enemy. And, and, and some things that are so difficult that we cannot do in our own physical self. It is the power of God that will break those things. I'll go even further. When you look at what is happening in our world today and the things that are happening, everything that is happening, there's a spirit behind it. And to counteract that, we need the spirit of God to counteract some of the things that are going on in our society. There are certain things you can't legislate. There are certain things that you can't do just with, you know, just with man-made rules and, and, and things. Because at the end of the day, man's sinful nature, man will do whatever they want to do. Whatever their sinful nature tells them to do, they will do. So no matter how much laws you make, there are some people out here, and I, and I somehow kind of agree that maybe if, we, if, if there are more gun laws and more restrictive gun laws in the U.S., that, and that restrict people from having guns, that it will prevent a lot of the mass shootings that we're seeing. But you could put all the laws you want. The heart of man is desperately wicked. And if a man wants a gun to commit crime, they will find a gun to commit crime. Because look how much laws we have against certain things and people still get them. They find a way to get them. In fact, sometimes it's like the more laws you make, the more people break them. Because, because of man's sinful nature. But the Spirit of God can take a man who designed to kill another man just to change his heart totally. And he, cannot, he himself can't explain why he had so much hate. And all of a sudden, the hate gone. That's what the power of God can do. That is what the power of God can do. No law can legislate that. Hence the reason why Jesus said that the, what the law could not do, the Spirit of God will do. We don't live by the law anymore. We live by the Spirit of God and by the power of God to live in a way that pleases God. 
Because with the law, man still broke the law. Yes, they were able to do all the sacrifices and everything, but they still broke the law. The law actually showed them how sinful they were. But the Spirit of God gives us the power to rise above sin. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he went down and took the keys of death of heaven and hell and declared that we will not die, but we will live and declare the works of the Lord. That is why Paul can declare that to live is Christ and to die is gain. So whether you kill me or whether I live, God will still be glorified. God will still be glorified. But even as we come to manifestation and we're looking at what God is doing and we, we've heard about the promise and we've been through the wait and now we're beginning to see the manifestation of God. I am saying to you this morning and going back to the theme, the release. God is about not only to release his spirit and fresh power upon us, but God is about to release some things from our lives and release some things to us. He's about to release some things from our lives and release some things to us. And in the process of doing that, he's going to release us into our destiny. For too long, we have been quiet and sitting down and, and, and being modest. But God is calling us upon this time right now for us to take a stand for what he has called us to and to walk into our destiny. We have been quiet for many reasons. We've come up with the excuses. The reason why we can't do it. God, I'm not worthy. I can't talk. When Moses was making all the excuses, when God had told him to go and deliver his people from, from bondage, Moses came with all the excuses in the book. I don't speak very well. I stutter. What am I supposed to tell Pharaoh? And God gave him all the examples of why he should go. And then when he, he felt like he wasn't going to go, he said, okay, I'm going to send Aaron with you. And Aaron will be your spokesperson. But God took Moses, who was a murderer, someone who felt that he was not worthy. It was out taking care of sheep. But you see, what Moses didn't realize is that the, the, the time when he was out tending to sheep was his waiting period. Because that was where God was molding him. You see, if you know anything about sheep and goats, I used to raise goats. And I used to say goats are some of the dumbest animals God ever made. They don't listen. They don't follow instructions. <laughs> Dead goats don't follow instructions. Sheep worse, yes. Sheep worse. I didn't have the DV sheep, but they're the same family. So Moses, imagine tending to his father-in-law's flock. And we're not talking about half a dozen or a dozen sheep. We're talking about flock. Like, because in those days, sheep and cattle and, and, and having herds and animals represented wealth. So he was taking care of his father-in-law's many sheep. And so during that period, he had to develop a, a, a patience to deal with the animals. So when Moses got to the point of leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, into the promised land, through the wilderness, imagine all of the acts of disobedience and rebellion and all the things he had to deal with. He had to develop a lot of patience to be able to deal. So God was training Moses during the waiting period. So when you're in your waiting period, don't become frustrated. Yes, it's, 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 it's natural for us to be frustrated, but God is preparing you in your waiting period for something greater. 
You may not see it all the time, but God is preparing you in your waiting period. God is preparing you in your waiting period. So when the time comes for the manifestation of the promise, you are ready to walk into the promise because you would have passed the test. You would have graduated with flying colors and ready to do what God has called you to into your destiny. The time is coming. The time has already come. Where God is saying to us, it is time for us to be released into our destiny. God has not released the spirit of God upon us so that we could sit down and warm the chairs every Sunday. Wherever the spirit of God is, if you look through Acts and write throughout scripture, wherever you see the terms being filled with the spirit, there was always a corresponding action associated with that. In Acts 4 verse 8, when it said that Peter was filled with the spirit, he said he spoke boldly to the people. In Acts, in Acts 7 verse 55, he said he was filled with the spirit. That was Stephen. And Stephen gazed into heaven and God gave him a revelation of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. In Acts 4 verse 31, where the people were filled with the spirit, it said they spoke the word, the word boldly. And even Zacharias in Luke 1 verse 67, before the advent of the Spirit, when he said that he was filled with the Spirit, he prophesied what the, God, what the Spirit of God had, had spoken unto him. Wherever there is manifestation of the Spirit, there is a corresponding action. If you are filled with the Spirit, there must be evidence of the Spirit within us. And God has released his Spirit upon us so that we can carry out the destiny that he has placed inside of us to do it is not just for us to look pretty and sit on a, on a Sunday morning when God when the spirit of God has come upon our lives there must be a transformation in our lives you can't come here at the altar receive the spirit of God and go back with your wicked ways something must change something must change there has to be a shift in we talk about divine shift. When the spirit of God comes upon you, there has to be a shift, a divine shift from wickedness to goodness, from darkness to light, from chaos to joy and peace, from uh, to order. It cannot be the same. It cannot be the same. There must be a transformation in our lives. There must be a transformation in our lives. And God is preparing us to release some things from us. So even as we come and we, we declare that we want to be filled with the Spirit and we want the Spirit of God to, to guide us, as Minister Karen demonstrate, demonstrated earlier, the Spirit walking with us, going with us, wherever we go, whatever we go through, the circumstances and the difficulties, they may come our way, but with the Spirit of God, He will make every crooked path straight. We begin to see things differently. We do not see things with a natural eye. When Stephen was being stoned to death, Stephen looked up to heaven and I see, I see the Lord lifted up, sitting at the right hand of God. Stephen had a vision that nobody else around him had because he was filled with the Spirit of God. So even though he was being killed, he was seeing a different vision. We have to ask that the Spirit of God illuminate our eyes, 
Open the eyes of our hearts so that we begin to see what God wants us to see. So that we begin to understand the things of God. So that we can have the wisdom of God to know right from wrong. To know when to go and when not to go. To when to speak and when not to speak. To make when to take that step and not to take that step. We need God every step of the way. And he has given us his Holy Spirit to guide us and to lead us through all truths. So I say to you this morning, as I'm getting ready to close, that God is releasing things from us so that we can be released into our destiny. The Spirit of God has been released upon us so that he is preparing to release us into our destiny. But there are certain things that are holding us back. And as the Spirit of God gives me the power this morning, I am decreeing and declaring that those things will hold us back no more. The things that have been holding us back will hold us back no more. No more. I declare and decree in the mighty name of Jesus that fear be released even now. Fear be released even now. The spirit of fear, we bind you, we crush you, we break your back by the power of the Holy Spirit. We release fear from your lives. A lot of things that we, fear, we, we, we fail to do is because of fear. There are things that God has already told us to do that we have not yet made a first move because of fear and sometimes God has to you know they have the story of the eagle and the and the baby birds and to get the baby birds to fly the eagle has to throw them out of the nest and sometimes God requires sometimes some of us to push us off the ledge because we are fearful to jump we fear to go down because we fear what may happen if we if we leap if we take that leap of faith. But for God to do greater inside of you, you have to already do what he's already told you. You can't reach to the greater level if you have not yet done what God has already told you to do. If you have not yet released your faith into what God has already given you the assurance of, you can't do greater. And greatness is inside of every single one of us. Greatness is locked up inside. It's not that some people are supposed to be great. And some are not. Some of us are not even supposed to be here this morning. Many of us, we've been told that we will come after nothing. Words were spoken over our lives as young children growing up. That we would not come to anything good. Many of us were told that you're going to be just like your father. Or just like your mother. And that was designed to keep you down. But I'm here to declare this morning that the spirit of God is here. To lift and to release every negative word spoken over your life. The Spirit of God is here this morning to release every negativity that has kept you bound for years. The Spirit of God is here this morning to release you into your destiny and to your God-given calling and purpose. This morning, even as I am closing, we are declaring right now, here and now, that the box stops with me. Generational curses are released even now in the name of Jesus. It may have happened to your father, your grandfather, your great-grandmother, but it stops here. This morning, on Pentecost Sunday, we declare that it stops here. What the enemy meant for bad, God is turning around for good. And this morning, even as we're closing, the altar is open.
And I want you to come forward as a step of faith to declare right here and right now that I am going to allow the Spirit of God to release me into my destiny. To release those things that have kept me bound, that have held me back. The chains that have held me back from walking into the destiny that God has brought you here on this earth for. At this moment, there are times when you thought, you thought to yourselves, why am I even here? Why am I even here? Some of you may have contemplated thoughts of suicide. But I'm here to say to you this morning, the Spirit of God is here to release from you every hindrance, every curse, every chain that the enemy has placed on your life, you are released from right now in the name of Jesus. As an act of faith, come forward as an act of faith this morning and declare that no more, no more, no more devil, no more devil. You're not having your way with my life anymore. It stops here today. It stops here today. The Spirit of God is releasing you into your destiny today. Today. Right now. Right now. Right now. You will not have your way with me anymore, devil. You will not have your way with me anymore. The Spirit of God is releasing you into your destiny, into your purpose. I decree and declare, Almighty God, as you have given me the power, that fear be released right now. We break that spirit of fear right now. That spirit that says, I can't and I will not come to anything good. Those words right now we reverse by the power of the Holy Spirit. We reverse every negative word spoken over the lives of your people who are standing here today. Even so, God, we go even deeper. And we declare that everything that has been plotted, every spirit that has been sent forth on your people to torment them and to make them feel as if they can't accomplish anything father everything that has been planted against their lives even now right now we uproot it in the name of Jesus we uproot it right now in the mighty name of Jesus thank you for listening to the full version of a message preached at the new birth gospel tabernacle church Feel free to follow the ministry on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at New Birth SKB. God bless you and have a wonderful day.